This podcast is from heptagonclub.co.uk and paulcarenza.com. The Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. Seven guests, seven corners. On this week's show. I saw Paul Daniels make an elephant disappear. Actually, we don't think it's possible to fool Penn um, I read The God Delusion. It was the closest I came to becoming a Christian. The only operation in medical history with a 300% mortality rate. And your host. Mr. Paul Carenza. Welcome, podcast listeners. Happy November to you. Sorry this is a bit late as podcasts go. We had no podcast in October because, uh, well, I got a bit ill, really. Uh, so I lost about two weeks to that, never eating seafood paella again. Uh, I'm well now, thank you for asking. I'm sure that you intended to ask, even if you didn't say anything out loud. Um, so what's been going on then? Well, loads. It's a busy time of gigs for me and my uh, stand-up capacity. If you'd like to come and see any, uh, it's mostly comedians and carol shows in December. Uh, you can come and seek us out, paulcarenza.com. If you would like to offer me any stand-up work or some writing or whatever you've got going, really painting and decorating would be fine too if you're in a position to do so if you've got a venue something like that that might need a a comedian to come and do a show drop me a line anyway speaking of which the future of this podcast right we are anticipating a bit of a gap after the next couple of episodes so we've got december in the bag that's okay we've got a christmas special that will be lovely january yes another seven guests are lined up after that it's probably the end of season two. So we are expecting a bit of a big gap then. How long? Well, that is up to you. At the moment, a few of you generous folks have donated a giant thank you to you. It does warm my cockles and keeps this crazy idea going a little while longer. Um, But if you've not donated and you like this podcast, do consider bunging us some quids. It costs me. And right now, I can't justify spending ages making new episodes and recording chats and seeking guests um, when there's writing work to be done, gigs to be had, etc. But We will definitely come back after January. It just could be in April, could be in July, who knows. Uh, But if you were to visit heptagonclub.co.uk, find the donate button or the Patreon button for regular giving and benefits, and that will lure us back all the quicker after our break in early 2018. But anyway, let's not bring the mood down with talk of money and absence of podcasts. We've got seven guests this episode waiting to come in, and it's freezing outside the doors of the Heptagon Club. We should really be letting them in. Uh, So coming up this week, a lot of magic, a lot of comedy and magic and a bit of religion and all that sort of stuff in there. So we've got John Archer, who is the country's finest comedy magician, according to uh, the Magic Circle, of all people. Also magazine editors, Steve Legg, Justin Briley, rival magazine editors, I suppose. I may have made that one up, but equally all magazine editors, I suppose, are rivals, really, for our attentions. They're talking magic and atheism and religious debate and things like that. We've got return visits from previous Heptagon Club guests like Carl Donnelly, uh, that's Chortle's Comedian of the Year, and Stephen Colgan, the QI Elf. And uh, what our rule really is seven guests a week, and they can be anyone from any capacity, and just depends who I've bumped into, really. Uh, So this month, uh, well, first up, who is about to walk in the door? But my comedy brother, this is Mr Andy Kind. Andy Kind! Hello. Welcome to the uh, the Heptagon Club podcast. I'm just on Instagram. <coughs> Are you? Yeah. Get you, you down with the kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't really understand it. It's just, it's pictures, isn't it? I've never done Instagram. It's, I always thought it like an Etch-a-Sketch or something, but it's a different thing. It's just, there, it? it's basically um, holiday photos <laughs> with the worst ones taken out. Okay, yes. Yeah. Well, I've only, I've only got on it because I was bored and right. um, I've heard that social media is a really good way of... Um, Filling a hole in your life. That's true. Like in real, yes. real yeah. fullness, real yeah. fulfilment. Yeah. So. 
as a comedian, you're a comedian, you're an author, you run a conference centre now as well? Is uh, that right? Retreat centre. A retreat yeah. centre, not yeah. a conference. There are no conferences here. No, no conferences. There are no conferences. We're here for the conference where you come to the wrong place. Yeah, you have. We're here for the retreat. Yes. Yes, fine. Uh, so, uh, how's that been? How's that change of gear? Um, it's, been, it's been tough. Uh, as someone who is uh, unashamedly and unapologetically a creative, to um, suddenly do something which is largely logistical has right. been a real... Uh, nightmare. Right, I was yeah, going to turn it down, but I thought, no, nightmare is... I, I do th- literally have nightmares yeah, I, about it. I thought you were going challenge, and <laughs> no. then you went, no, it's a proper nightmare. It is yeah. a proper nightmare. So I'm an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs okay. spectrum, yep. uh, and they worked out all the worst nightmares for each of mm. the Myers-Briggs types. Mm. And for an ENFP, the worst nightmare is as follows. The rest of your life has been planned out for you in 15-minute segments, and it is a series of largely arbitrary tasks. Ooh. Or as I call it, running a retreat centre. Right, OK. <laughs> yes. You, you meant, I got the sweats just hearing that. Yes, I think I, I must be an e- ENFP as well. ENFP, yes. ENFP, yeah. yeah. OK, so retreat centre is one part of your life. You've written, How many books have you written? Uh, four. Four books? Three under my name and one ghostwritten. Really? Yes, I like that because even you're a writer but yeah. you're excited that I've ghostwritten something. Damn, that somewhere there exists exciting. a book uh, that so I'm is trying to by think, me but you don't know what it is. No, I know the three. I don't know the fourth. No. How exciting. So the Stand Up and Deliver about my first year in comedy, which yes. you're in. Yeah, yes. The Gig Delusion, which you're in, yeah. about uh, sort of fictional. They're my two favourites. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Tom Hillingthwaite, which yep. is my favourite, but you're not in I'm it. I'm not so in it, never no, mind. But no, it's fine. very good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's that's, my favourite. That's favorite. landed very well, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yes. Now, and interestingly, because I know you've just written uh, your fifth book. Well, fifth, th- third, that is entirely me. Yes. You did but the then one I've done with a, your wife. The one with my wife, that's half. Yes. So the third and a half. Third and a half. And then a bit of, bit of I've written a page of another. Yeah, so about yeah. third. Okay, oh, we're equal now. We'll call it that. We'll call it. So Andy has written books, and we will add them to the Amazon guest list. We have a, a special list on the, the Amazon website uh, for guests and their books that they've written. So uh, my most recent book, Hark is, of course, going to be up there as well. Uh, that is going grand. It's uh, Heart the Biography of Christmas. So this is the time of year to get it right now. Uh, time of recording, it's early November. Uh, so if you get it now, you can be reading it in the run to Christmas. I know we don't want to think about Christmas necessarily just yet, but in terms of reading a book all about it, that's the time to get it is about right now. Now we just crack bonfire night. That's, the, you know, the, all bets are off after this point. Holidays are indeed coming. So uh, do grab a hold of it if you so wish. Next episode, we have a Christmas special with, um, well, pretty much almost no guests. I suppose other people's Christmas specials add guests at Christmas time. But we normally have so many, we're going to get rid of a few. So next episode will be a feature length ad, basically, uh, for the Christmas book. And we will have guests, but they will be from Christmas past. Dickens, St. Nicholas, Bing Crosby, that sort of thing. In the meantime, books available. And we are here in November with a cavalcade of guests. And look who has just joined the magic star on our November tree. It's going to say Christmas tree. Remembered, we're not there yet. Uh, so joining Andy and myself, it's the first man to fool Penn and Teller on their TV show, Fool Us. It's BAFTA winning comedy magician and legend, John Archer. John Archer, Andy Kind, comedy legend. <laughs> you can decide which is comedy <laughs> and which is legend. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah. So when did you start, Mr. Andy Kind? When were you starting? Uh, January 23rd, 2005. Wow, that's specific. And John Archer, when did you start in this crazy world? Of January 14th, 1996. Wow. Just made that up. I, 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 was thinking, I was thinking, I don't know why. It, it was sometime um, in 96. Okay. Early 96. Yes. And in your, you, so has it always been magic and comedy in a combination for you? Yeah, yeah, always done it. Some people have said, uh, why don't you drop the magic? Mainly magicians. 
I quite I quite like the combination, and I quite like the fact that there aren't many there aren't many good comedy magicians. Mm. I'm not even sure if I'm one of them. I'm not saying I am, but but if if you look at like how many good strong comedy mm. magic acts there are in the country, there still aren't many. There's like Pete Furman, you know, um, Paul Zenon, um, a few others. You, me, yeah, thank you, thank you. And you, and because you've won awards for best comedy magician in the world ever. Yeah, really. but in the magic world, then, everybody's won awards. Well, I was going to say, but you're like you're just so there's only about three of them. So in that case, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, well done. Yeah, very good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank thank you top work. I did a gig for a public speakers association a few weeks ago, and they're all public speakers there. And at the end, I mean, it went well. I thought I enjoyed it. But this guy came up and can I just say that you're brilliant, absolutely brilliant? He said, but uh, can I just suggest something to you? And I felt like saying, no, not really, thanks. You've said enough, let's leave mm. it. And he went, uh, I think the magic took away from the magic. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I loved all the comedy, but the magic just seemed to sort of distract from the comedy. I think you should have just maybe got rid of the uh, got rid of the magic. And of course I said, are you a fan of magic? He said, no, I don't really like magic. I thought, that's probably why then. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah. that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> So Andy, can you, your your first gig is clearly memorable to you. Yes, it was it was the Porter Cellar Bar in in Bath. Oh yes, yeah, Merth Control. Yeah, and I drove uh, for um, it had only been booked that week. Mm. I'd only signed up on the site, and uh, I talk about this in my first book actually, Stand Up and Deliver. It's the mm-hmm. first chapter. I um, plug plug. Yeah, um, drove for two two and a half hours to get there. Did my ten minutes, and then drove for two and a half hours back for for no money. And like, like a lot of comedians, I think lots of people try comedy, but most people only try it once. If it had gone mm. badly, I probably wouldn't have done a second one. Mm. But I remember being in, the, in the, the little kind of utility room, which was the green room, and just before I was about to come out, uh, Nina, Ninia Benjamin had been on and Electric Forecast were on. Electric like, Forecast? Yeah. I've on those guns. Yeah. Big, big little book. Yes, of course. Um, I was standing in the green room and the door to the stage was my left and the door to the carpet was my right. And it, I felt such a tug of war. I really mm. wanted to run and just go back and just think, well, it, it's all right, I'll try it again sometime. But I went on stage. I had a lovely time. I'd probably look back at it now and think, how did, why were they laughing? What were they laughing mm. at? Um, I always wonder that. Yes, <laughs> particularly when you're watching it. <laughs> um, but it was great and... and you know, it's been twelve years of hammering a square peg into a round hole. So that's what that's what anything is. If you, if you hammer that long enough, the, the whole change. Long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is. Not long obedience. Oh, right. Yeah. Very good. Nietzsche that. said that. Is that true right? about comedy? Fair play. Cool. That's quite um, intellectual. Yes. For this time of night. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Speaking of so big little cook you mentioned there, smooth link. I'm bouncing back and forth like a like a like a, a, an untrained Graham Norton here. You have won a children's. Is it a children's BAFTA? Is that right for yeah, the children's, uh, yeah CBBC um, BAFTA for a kids show? Help my supply teachers still magic. Yes, we did three. Help my supply teachers magic. Help my supply teachers still magic, which got, got the BAFTA, and help my school triggers magic. Right. So yeah. So technically, I mean, I don't really know how you decide whether mm. you you've won the BAFTA or not. The show won the BAFTA. I never got a BAFTA. The producers got the BAFTA, yeah. but I was in the show and I wrote the show. So I feel a little bit like I was yeah. probably slightly responsible for that BAFTA. Have you seen the BAFTA? Have you offered? Have well, I've, I've touched it. You've touched it. Okay, touched yeah. It. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I've often I've won awards that I've never seen. I wasn't even invited to the award ceremony, mm. but someone on TV thanked me, so I'll take it. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, right, well yeah. I um, I wrote for the sketch show as well on oh, yeah, uh, yeah. ITV that Tim was in. Mm. Tim Vine. Tim Vine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that won a BAFTA yeah. as well. Yeah. So I'm, you know, so typically I sort of slightly claim that. 
but it's all a bit when, when mm. telly shows win BAFTAs and you're vaguely involved. Mm. It's almost difficult to, you know, but I just claim it. You could put double BAFTA winning, definitely. I do. I do oh, yeah, double BAFTA winning. Yeah, I, I do all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the British Comedy Awards, I, I wasn't even at the British Comedy Awards, but uh, so I thought I can't put that on my CV as British Comedy Award winning, because that's not me. I, was, I wasn't even invited. I was at home in my PJs, literally watching it at home in my pyjamas. And, um, but a month later, I got an email saying, now as a member of the Academy, you get to vote on next... I was thinking, I'm a member of the Academy Amazing, now. Yeah. I wasn't invited to the thing, but I'm a member of the Academy. <laughs> You're like a Jedi. Now. So I've never been... You know, I, the year later, I thought the invite might come as a member of the Academy. No. And have you voted? Still, I've, I vote every time, you know, yeah. but... Um, Still at home with a pajamas watching, you know, but yeah. it's ridiculous. So two of my jokes have been used with permission by comedians on uh, Live at the Apollo. And oh, so yeah. my CV says, and his material has appeared on Live at the Apollo. It's all fair. Excellent, it's all fair. Which is true. Again. Often some people introduce me as, he's been on Live at the Apollo. Yeah. He wouldn't be at Loughton Baptist Church if he'd been at Live <laughs> at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. The Heptagon Club. Seven guests, seven corners. The Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. So let's have another guest now, a comedian who has appeared on Live at the Apollo. Oh, actually, I better check that. Um, okay, a comedian who you'd have thought has been on Live at the Apollo, but actually hasn't. Uh, but he has guested with us before. He's Chortle Website's Comedian of the Year, uh, or something like that. And over in Philosophy Corner, guest number three of seven, Carl Donnelly. My th- philosophy of comedy is to just only ever write about what you want to write about on any, at any given time. Mm. But then, so that it can be a good and a bad thing, because it means you're constantly writing. So, I'm never, I never sit down to write a new show. I'm just constantly writing a new okay. show. This is always a new show, is rolling along. Yes. And then, sort of, when it comes to say a few months for Edinburgh, I'm like, right, let's okay. pick what I'm actually doing this show about. Yeah. But the danger of that is, I, I change sort of what I'm talking about so drastically. Sometimes I think, you know, there, there's there's a if you wanted to to be have traction, you know, like big famous comedians, I think have to stick to a certain brand don't they once they get to a certain point of fame you find what is you and you do that and if, if you yeah. change it then people won't like it yes you know there's, yeah. there's comics that, you know, that has happened to in the last yeah. you know few years and I think so I think my philosophy is you know probably more destined for niche well, that's, that's, but that's fine because I always think you know if you're a, I'd love to see you know Tim Vine just does a show one year it's just now there's a there's a long anecdotal story about my life <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's me telling you about therapy never <laughs> go what but I think with Tim there's yeah. an authenticity to yeah. what he does I know you know I know him off stage as well mm. as you do yeah. and you know that he that is what he's like I, yes. I don't think he's ever writing thinking that this is what my audience want yes but I think there is a lot once you get to the top like fame level yeah you know, like I think part of your writing process uh, is you you do you have to th- sort of think about your audience totally. But my my ethos is never think about your audience. Be selfish and write what Quite you right write. Too. Quite right too. Quite right too. Have a purity. That's right. Be selfish. I like that. Very nice indeed. The second mention of the week there for Tim Vine. Of course, he was a previous guest on this podcast. So do seek out our back catalogue and find that lovely chat with Tim before uh, Miranda Hart, Sally Phillips, all have been. Uh, fine and fun guests before so uh, do trawl through our back catalogue if you've not caught them so this week it's a mix of comedy and magic uh, but given this is a podcast of people I like and bump into and invite along every few episodes that includes a particular focus and zoom in on the world of religion now this isn't a pulpit there'll be no sermonising here so enter stage left Justin Briley now this is a man with a fascination for getting the two worlds of theists and atheists in a room together 
and then it's slam down debate style. Yes, uh, he runs the Unbelievable podcast. His new book, Unbelievable, is all about those encounters that he has set up. When I say set up, I don't mean he's, you know, kind of faked it like a wrestling match. He's not getting people to give a verbal pile drive here. You wince and whack me over the head with a chair or a Bible. No, what I mean, he's set up these debates and discussions with people like Richard Dawkins, Marcus Brigstock, Darren Brown. Uh, well, they're the famous ones. Uh, so they're the atheists, obviously. Um, but here to explain more. Anyway, he's author, magazine editor, radio show host, Justin Briley. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I've been on your podcast. You have. Now you've been on ours. I know. It's it's such an incestuous world of podcasting. Of pottery, isn't it? Yes. It's it's a pod swap, really, isn't it? (laughs) Of some kind. Um, So so partly, you've got a book. Yes. uh, But also, it's based on a very interesting, I think, life experience of the fact that you have been willingly uh, partaking at regular intervals with uh, discussions on uh, theism, atheism, in a kind of a loggerhead scenario. Yes, that's it's right. It's a really odd way of explaining well, it. It's, uh... it's, it's yet another podcast, yes. really, because um, the, the unbelievable radio show, which I've been hosting for 11 and a half years, has mm. also been a podcast for getting on for 10 years. And it's a, a weekly thing mm. where I um, basically am joined by a Christian and a non-Christian to debate life the universe and everything mm. um, and very often those conversations are around the existence of God yes uh, is atheism true is Christianity true uh, is there any evidence for the claims of the Bible mm. uh, or you know did we you know is, is there meaning is there purpose meaning to life is there such a thing as real right and wrong mm. all those kinds of big philosophical mm. issues yeah wow it's quite a gladiatorial... I mean, it sounds to me like the Harry Hills TV burp, you know. <laughs> Fight! <laughs> you know, Chuck her in a room, see what happens, sort of thing. But, yeah, um, yeah, it yeah. Can, be. Yeah. can be. Some of them definitely are quite adversarial. Yes. Uh, depends very much on the characters you've got in, mm. and that's down to me, really, as to who I put with who. <laughs> right. um, yes, okay. So I'm like, I'm like the boxing match promoter. Nice, with, I like you know, This week, yeah. we're going to square off <laughs> Dawkins versus... <laughs> so and so yeah. um, but no uh, to be honest because of that they do vary a great deal mm. and some are just lovely chats you yes. know very friendly polite um, and and others are kind of full on mm. you know verbal fist fights um, <laughs> and there's lots of very academic ones where you've got real experts in the studio and they just love being nerdy and academic and mm. sort of sharing their wisdom yeah. And other times it's, you know, lay people who are just sort of armchair philosophers and atheists and Christians right. who are just sort of saying how they think of life. They're like so. a pub chat sort of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's the stuff you get into with those. Well, I was always told growing up, you know, religion and politics are the two things to avoid in polite <laughs> conversation. So it's nice that you've dived into that. Yeah, right, let's, yes, uh, let's exactly. sort this out. Yeah. I, I, and the, in a sense, the more that it is a conversation like you'd have down the pub, I think the more interesting it is in a way yeah. because that's where you, you often have the most interesting conversations mm. uh, where uh, especially where actually people are open to actually listening to the other side right. and, and they're not just coming in to you know staunchly mm. defend one particular point of view but but they're willing to kind of concede and mm. find find you know where the other person does have maybe a point yes you know? yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, as I imagine you'd get with Richard Dawkins, of course. Uh, so I know uh, <laughs> it depends. It depends what day you catch him on, to be right, honest. Right, okay, yes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so the second time I had him on the show, right. he was quite well, nice. he came back, there well, you go. That's a, that's a good thing for a start, isn't it? You know, yeah. He was quite nice, actually, yeah. and quite sort of um, congenial and, yeah. and said some nice things, actually, about the Bible. Yes. Um, as well as some critical things. Yeah. Um, and it depends on the environment he's in. In fact, the thing he said on that second time I had him on was, we sort of, I had him on with a, a rabbi and a Christian. It sounds like a joke. <laughs> it, it does, I know. It really does. <laughs> but we were debating the Old Testament. And um, this was in the context of there was a series on Channel 5 at the time, sort of dramatised series on, mm. on, the te- on the Bible. Oh, yeah. and, and Dawkins, of course, in his mm. God delusion, um, as an atheist, has said sort of made some statements about the Old Testament and particularly the God of the Old Testament. He has this long sort of sentence about the most megalomaniacal, pestilential, awful, you know, blah, 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 um, fictional character in all of history. And, um, and so the, the rabbi sort of pressed him on this and said, look, come on, Richard, isn't this an incredibly one-sided slant on what you find in the Old Testament. Mm. And, and he actually conceded that and said, yes, I, and it's just really for comic effect. Right. Uh, okay. It's to get a bit of a laugh from the predominantly atheist audiences I speak to. In, in yeah, OK. Yeah. Which I thought was, you know, OK, yeah. fair enough. Okay. And, and at least he's actually said that. You yeah. know, I, this is <clears throat> rhetoric, yes. not really a kind of, you know, it's, it's logical argument sure. necessarily. It made a good headline, didn't it? Yes. Well, it's a very yeah. long headline. But and he's good, <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, he's a good writer and a good communicator. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes you a long way. And there is a reason that he is probably the most famous atheist of our generation, if not for the last century or so. Yeah. And I think that is because people, yeah, he, he knows how to sell his ideas. Yeah, really. completely. I think, I think that's massive. And if you're ever going to become, you know, as he has been a popularizer of science or a popularizer mm. of atheism or a popularizer of Christianity, you have to know how to sell an idea. Yes. In, yeah. in a way, Jesus was the past master of that. Mm. You know, if yeah. anyone can has a claim to being one of the best communicators the world's ever known. It, it mm. was probably him. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, he had a mount, and he, uh, there's a, a particularly <laughs> famous sermon there. You know, so, um... More from Justin in a moment. Uh, but Andy Kind, comedian, is finding himself also drifting into talking about his faith up there on a platform as well. So here he is on his morphing career. As I move from being a comedian to uh, an evangelist, it's really exciting because... When I do go and preach on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday evening, people are really surprised because they're getting comedy, they're getting someone who's done comedy for 12 years, but they're also hearing a, a gospel message. Mm. And so I'm getting quite a lot of bookings because it's that, there's that niche, it's quite unique. So to be able to offer, particularly on a Sunday morning, proper comedy, but also a proper message, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm mm. really excited by it. It's quite a rare thing in that little Venn diagram in the middle bit. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, and I've always, I've always tried... I've been an expert at finding very, very small niches that no one else cares about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we're all kind of made in God's image and we're able to laugh and create comedy, mm. then I think that's a sign that he mm. laughs. Isaac that. means he laughs. and yeah. So Genesis 21 verse 6, God go. has brought me laughter. Everyone First book, so it's going to be, you know. That was a word of prophecy that I was given when I started out doing church gigs. God has brought me laughter. Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Technically, not everybody has. <laughs> <laughs> Over 12 years. Well... Yes. God got it wrong, didn't he? He did get it wrong, yeah, yeah. 
So next month we go full Christmas on this podcast. This month we're going to try and avoid mentioning Dickens etc uh, as we return to our theological referee Justin Briley. Yeah I know I, it's interesting that I've noticed that the, like the Dickens uh, Dickens that's the that's the author the other guy with, with, Dawkins Dawkins, Dawkins. Oh, yes. I get my Dickens slight, and Dawkins it's very yeah. very confused it's very easy yes. to do such a thing his tweets I, I've, I know some a lot of atheist comedians not, they're not you know the stereotype I don't think is entirely true yeah. but there are certainly uh, some vociferous atheist comedians who I, I've noticed on Twitter going oh no Dawkins please prof right. just rein it in a little bit yeah. like, you know we agree with you on a lot of what you say <laughs> but you might want to phrase it a bit yeah, better than that yeah. um, and it, often it's not to do with religion as such it's often to do with um with gender or, or our politics or whatever. Yeah, opinion. and I think I think that's it. Um a lot of I think I think to some extent the the cultural cachet that he had at mm. one time has diminished somewhat because he, he has gaffed quite often on Twitter in, mm. in one way or another and there's a sort of regular cycle that people joke about now about, you know, Dawkins says something on Twitter, mm. follows it up with lots of um <laughs> amendments and qualifications. Yeah. Uh then publishes a blog post about what why he couldn't say what he meant to say in 140 characters and right, right. Re- repeat yes, ad okay. nauseum. But the yes. um, but no, I mean, and that's interesting because actually, I mean, in your sphere, mm. I, th- I think there are quite a few, and I've had some of them on my show. You mm. know, comedians who who certainly take a, the same worldview as mm. Dawkins, uh, maybe put it across in a slightly more jocular way. Yes. yes. Um, but, you know, Ricky Gervais, mm. classic example, and not afraid to mm. regularly on Twitter or wherever give his views on religion. Mm. Um, I've had on the show um, Marcus Brigstock. Oh, yes. Back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Because he had yeah. a book called God Collar. That's right. Yes. And yeah. uh, that was kind of about his sort of mm. struggle mm. With, with religion, mm. um, which was a really interesting book, actually. Yes. And, and he had we had a really good edition of the show. Yeah, I remember. I've not read all of that, but I remember glancing through it though. And what I, what I quite like about I like, I've worked with Marcus a little bit over the years, and he's quite shouty and ranty and like that. But he plays up to that certainly. Yeah. Um, but people like Marcus and Robin Ince, it's it, they engage with religion at least in a way which I think some comedians just think just swipe it away. Yeah. I think and yeah. at least there's that attempt to grapple with something. Yeah. Yeah, and an ability to sit down and talk rather than. Mm. Um, but it, it was funny because Marcus, I think he he was not your typical sort of you know he was not a Dawkins in, in the sense that he actually said in the book, um, I read the God Delusion. It was the closest I came to becoming a Christian. You know, right? Uh, right. He actually <laughs> right, yeah, had yeah. the opposite effect. Yes. On yeah. Yeah. More Justin in a moment. Uh, comedy, magic, John Archer. Rude of us not to mention Penn and Teller. Yes. The first person to fall Penn and Teller mm. on I mean, there. There's hundreds now, but yeah. You've got a, yeah, now, now you're part of a long list, isn't it? You know, now you? every magician in the world has filled Penn and Teller <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. on their websites. But yeah, was the first before the series even special before the series even was yes, made. This yeah. is what I was on. Yeah, that was great. That must have been quite, especially in the room where it's not happened before. Everyone's waiting for that moment. But not only did it not happen before, um, we didn't actually know what the show was going to be. Right. So all the magicians were approached, sort of, in, you know, in the UK, they approached, and a few abroad, I think, but it was mainly UK mm. magicians for that special. And they were all told the concept of the show. You perform a trick, pen and teller watch it and try and work it out. And the general consensus was... They're going to be really nasty to us. They're going to mm. expose how we've done it. They're going to say yeah. they're not going to be that nice. And also, actually, we don't think it's possible to fool Penn and Teller. We're all thinking, mm. Penn's not that smart on magic, and he'd admit that himself. But Teller is really smart. He's written you know, some great books on it, and he's studied a lot. 
And we all thought, there's no way, you know, all the methods, we all know all the methods, you know, to fool any magician is difficult. So we all went on thinking what they're going to be like to us and nobody's going to fool them. And uh, there was about three acts went on before me mm. and I didn't think I was going to fool them. They, you know, I th- I th- they tried to get me to do with the tricks, the, the researchers and people, you know, said, we've heard that this is really funny and we've heard you do a trick like that that's really good. And I said, well, it's true, but... The only trick I've got that vaguely stands a chance of fooling them is this one mm. that I came up with, a method myself. Uh, and it's a well-known premise um, of a trick. You know, you have five objects and, you know, they choose and you've effectively predicted which one they're going to choose. And, uh, and I sort of knew that the, they, in their minds they would be watching how I was doing it and by the way I was doing it they'd have been ticking off methods in their mm. head. And I knew they'd be saying, well, he, he's not done that, and he's not done that. And I was just hoping that at the end they'd go, hang on a minute, he hasn't used any of the methods we thought. Mm. So now we have to try and guess how he's done it. And that's what happened. And yeah. they, I was just, you know, fortunate. I mean, they, they made some guesses that were close, but thankfully not close enough that it could be deemed... Uh, I love the way that... Sh- I've, I've watched every episode of that, because mm. I love watching it. And, um, and I lo- I'm a magic junkie. I love magic. Right. I used to... Have you watched the American the- series of the- I've only watched the ones on ITV, whatever they show. Oh, no, because they yeah. the, the made three seasons in America now. Oh, OK. Some amazing series. Really? Full US, that's cool. That's yeah. nice. I like Do you know that. what's annoying like now, that. though, is on the Americans, they get a trophy. Oh, really? Yeah, an FU trophy oh. for fools. So you get to go to Vegas, because even the Americans, they get a black pool, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it like when Pan came up to you at the end and said, have you considered dropping the magic? Was that- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, drop the magic. Yeah. <laughs> what I always love is, is the way, because it's something we, we don't normally see, is that bit where they go, they don't want to reveal the, the trick, but I love the way they go, uh, all I'm going to say to you is, uh, you know, double centipede, and I think you'll know what I mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the magician goes like that, his shoulders drop, he goes, yeah, like, okay. yeah, you got me. I was going for triple centipede, but you got me a double centipede. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love all that stuff. I love the centipedes out of his jacket. I love that little, <laughs> little insight into the magician's lingo that we've yeah. never quite caught on to, that's always nice. Um, but, uh, My favourite is when they draw a little picture. Oh, yeah. And they go, we just want to show you this, and then, right. and then they go, let's show them a picture, and yeah. the guy goes, yeah, and then they just set light to the picture and burn it. Yes, yeah. that's always nice. I was wondering if they just, it's actually teller writing in there, if you don't agree to this, we kidnap your family. <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh yes, you've worked it all out, thank you. Now um, and again you do get people who argue with them, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. You get some people who go, no, no, you, you know, I haven't got it. Mm. And then and then Penn gets really annoyed and starts mm. just describing the method. Yes. And just like, you yeah. know, and they're like, you shouldn't have argued. Have you seen... Uh, do you see many magic tricks that you can't work out yourself? Or do you know? Do you get them all nowadays? I do now and again, not as often as I'd like. So the reason you get into magic is you love that, that feeling you get when you watch something and you go, what? cannot understand that. You know, you see somebody getting a box and then they open the box and they've vanished. And you go, no, you know. Yeah. And the problem is, as soon as you get into magic, mm. you lose that wonder, course, yeah. that wonder that you always had. So when you get it, it's really special. Mm, yeah. When, when, when you see something, and it does happen now and again, I see something. But more often than now, I, I sort of, I, I, it's more about the performance than actually the method. Well, actually, I remember the joy some guys do. You know, I watched, um, you know, Steve Price. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched him with Danny Buckler for the first time. And Danny had never seen Steve. And Danny's like, oh, come on then, let's see this uh, up-and-comer. And, and the, the, the joy of seeing Danny's face... When he suddenly saw the joke, I, I, what, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how he did that. And I go, what? But, I go, but I'm a magician, how do I not know how he did that? You know, 
and he was his jaw was on the floor for about what a was day. The trick? Can you remember? It Just was he got quite a large feet. Yeah, did he do that? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he got he me got a gig. <laughs> that was really annoying. He got me to pay him up front. That's what he was. Um, it was um, it was something. I think it must have been a playing card. Uh, in a balloon it's like uh, oh, yeah, yeah. pick your card okay I could pick any card and then I'd pop some balloons and it's the red the red balloon you want the red balloon pop the red balloon and then there's the card yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was something like, something like that I mean, yeah, yeah that would fool Danny yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough <laughs> <laughs> and another fine comedy magician now uh, just mingling here with our other guests at the Heptagon Club this is Steve Legg welcome Steve <laughs> welcome so how would you describe yourself Steve Legg um, well international baffler I believe and, international uh, baffler and funny guy someone called me excellent I do comedy magic. Excellent. I've done so for 29 years as a job. 29 years. 29 years. I worked out I've been to the moon and back seven and a half times. Wow. On the road. All so for one gig. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a gig. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At 45p a mile. We, yeah, uh, exactly. We yeah. cleaned up. Yeah, I bet, I bet you did. Yes, yeah, so I, so I did comedy magic. I write books. Yes. I saw Paul Daniels make an elephant disappear. I saw that was good. It was amazing. It was very good. Yeah. Do you know what? I could never figure it out. And would you believe it? I was at my local gym, Mm. chatting to this guy, Pat, Mm. uh, who I had no idea used to work at BBC on props, on the Paul Daniels show. Oh, okay. On that particular shoot. Really? And he told me how they did it. Really? And it's how I kind of thought, but I thought, that's impossible. It was outside. In a field, yes. An elephant went into a tent. Debbie McGee yes. danced around in a pink I've bikini. I've seen it. It's incredible. Yeah. Paul James fired a gun. Tent fell to the floor. Yeah. Uh, elephant disappears. Yeah. I showed it to my kids recently on YouTube. You're it's amazing. Like like a couple of months ago, I was showing to my kids. Like uh-huh. this, this is proper magic yeah. for the olden days. <laughs> that really is. Not um, like the rubbish your dad does. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what got me into magic. Well, when we stop talking, uh, I'm going to be asking you properly exactly if, if you'll you. reveal yeah. your secrets. I will. Um, I'm, I'm slightly concerned this was in a gym that Pat, the prop guy, wasn't going to show you the elephant reappearing in the middle of the gym locker room because that would be quite inappropriate Um, okay so then you did the magic and of course which doesn't come overnight you have to practice 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 yeah well I used to specialise in escapology because I was really into who Dean is was he used to get a straight jacket and then you got out of that handcuffed so to speak yes thank you never heard that I'm sure you haven't now Steve Legg's other job is magazine editor he edits Sorted magazine in which I have a a regular column Uh, this issue that is about the potted history of festive PR because I am of course on a bit of a festive PR train at the moment with the new book Hark the Biography of Christmas I would say the first print run completely sold out leaving me rather awkwardly with almost no books at the actual book launch Um, but we had a few which was nice we had more wine than books uh, but that is a good sign of any book launch I think Uh, we had a good gang of attendees as well including Liz Earle you know from the skincare well-being entrepreneur and business side of things we had Timmy Mallet as well so uh, two perennially young never aging Peter Pan types I suppose Appropriate for a book that even includes mention of the festive origins of Peter Pan. Did you know the first ever Captain Hook was played by Daphne du Maurier's dad and that he was so scary that kids fainted? Yes, all true. Um, Also at the launch, QI elf Stephen Colgan. Again, how appropriate. An elf, a QI elf at a Christmas book launch. Fantastic. So he is on at the very end of this episode. Anyway, trivia, whether on Peter Pan or other Christmassy tidbits and all that sort of backstory is all in the new book. Please do buy it. And almost more importantly than that, please do review it on Amazon, if you would. That is your bring a bottle moment this week. We do have a bring a bottle opportunity for you to give something back. And the one thing we ask of you this particular episode is a nice review on the old Amazon of the book. You know, if you consider it, I've only got a handful of reviews up there at the minute. Frustratingly, about half of them are rather misled by the cover into thinking it was a joke book. So their reviews read, you know, I liked it. It was quite like a nice little history book. I enjoyed the history, but I thought it was going to be a joke book. So three stars. 
you know, there is a famous saying about uh, judging books by covers, but let's not even go there. All I'm saying, it would be quite lovely if, if you would consider lending a, a nice, uh, well-judged review, either on Amazon or Goodreads. That's another fine website as well. Some lovely um, words would be fantastic. I think that's your bring a bottle moment this time. So what else have we been up to then, apart from book launches and things like that? I recently hosted the Church and Media Conference. That was good fun. One guest I was chatting to there, uh, I should have shoved a microphone in front of him, was actor David Jesse. Now, if you don't know him by name, you will in five years. Right? He stars in the TV show Containment. He was also in Cloud Atlas with Tom Hanks, loads of other things as well. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And I had a choice. Do I chat to him like a normal person? Or do I be that guy who whips out a phone and starts interviewing him for a podcast? And unluckily for you listeners, I chose the former, you know, just chatting normally. But Steve Legg, who we just heard, well, his Sorted Magazine podcast, they did whip out a microphone and interview him. So if you'd like to hear David Jesse, you can find Steve's podcast and, and hear that. Yeah, you know, Steve Legg and Justin Briley, both guests this week, both of them have podcasts, Sorted and Unbelievable. Both of them edit magazines, Sorted and Premier Christianity magazine. Both of them, I'm in their most recent magazines in Sorted. I've got a, a regular column in there. In Justin's, well, it's actually the next issue. It's the, it's the Christmas December issue. I've written an article about the key people who made the modern Christmas from Dickens to St. Nicholas to Cromwell. And I'm going to bring you a sort of audio equivalent of that next episode with seven guests on this Heptagon Club uh, from Christmas past, from Dickens to Bing Crosby, that sort of thing. But anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's all to come. This time we are obsessing on comedy, Christianity and conjuring. So let's dwell on all three of those right now with Justin Brawley once again, who recently did a big interview with Darren Brown. How was Darren, Darren Brown then? What was, uh, was So that? Darren Brown, was that was like such a dream for me to get an interview with him. Um, we did it a bit differently to the usual interview because normally it's me moderating yes. the two yeah. points of view. But in that case, um, just because he's a busy guy, obviously, mm. I'd managed to book an interview with him after a performance of his um, Miracle stage show last year. Uh, and I, I, so I went to see that in Nottingham and interviewed him afterwards in his sort of hotel room. And, um, and what's fascinating about Darren is he was a Christian yeah. at one time and um, had, a, to some extent, you know, an evangelical faith before he lost it, sort of university days, really. Kind of coinciding, actually, with the time he kind of really started to get into stagecraft and magic and mm. illusion and so on. Um, and so he doesn't sort of tend to wear his atheism in a very sort of overt way, mm. but certainly a lot of his shows and TV programmes, there's a dimension to them, which is sort of critical at some level of claims about the supernatural, obviously. Mm. And, and his yeah. view is that I can replicate so much of what the charlatans in his view do, you know, whether it's the psychics or... The, the miracle healers or whatever it might be and certainly the show that I went to see you know the night before I interviewed him Miracle um, which was on Channel 4 later uh, is just the most extraordinary show um, but very challenging for anyone who does believe in sort of supernatural miracles and things because what Darren does as, as a showman is kind of recreate a lot of what you might see in you know your classic sort of healing evangelist type rally in a kind of in the Christian subculture um, I think the problem is, I think it's absolutely valid to have criticisms of that. I would share a lot of the criticisms of, of what sometimes goes on in those yeah. scenarios. Um, I think the danger is when you throw the baby out with the bathwater and assume mm. that that's all that's happening all the time in those scenarios. But we had a fascinating chat about that. We sat down. I was only expecting to get like half an hour with him. It turned into sort of 90 minutes because we just got on really well, yeah. which was nice. And, um, and it was an interview... But it was sort of a little bit of a, 
a debate as well at yes. the same time where we would back and forth on things like the evidence for the resurrection and um and other issues around you know whether atheists can can get meaning and that kind of thing ultimately mm. and 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 he seemed to enjoy it you know and yeah. in a way i think because he hadn't had i guess in his current sort of you know what he does now he doesn't often get the chance to reflect with someone who uh on these things he did hold you know mm. to be true at one time he doesn't often get the chance to kind of talk at any depth about them i think he actually quite enjoyed sort of having that that yeah. chat okay. with someone yeah. who who does obviously still you know, mm. hold, hold to these beliefs. And did you so, walk away wanting to rob a bank whenever you saw the cover? <laughs> well, I did say from the outset, look, just one thing, yeah. don't, don't do some trickery that makes, <laughs> exactly. turns me into an atheist by the end of this, yes, yes. this interview. And he, said, he kind of rolled his eyes and said, oh, don't worry. Yes. You know. You'll be safe here. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> lifting his cape up in the air, twiddling on the stuff. But I think, I think what I actually got the impression of, and actually speaking to other people who know him and what he does mm. in advance, is that, a lot of that stuff is very much has to be on the stage in order yeah. for it to work. He, he, it's not, you're not in the environment where you're just mm. sitting down for a chat mm. where there's the same kind of things he can do where yes. he can influence yes. you in that way. I'm yeah. sure there are things he could do, you know, cause he's, he's brilliant, but, yeah, well, but, I think, but yeah. it, it's like, I think there's a big, a lot of what, what I understood from others I've spoken mm. to is a lot of what gets passed off as quote unquote mind control mm. on stage or on TV is actually illusion. Yes, that's yeah. that's oh, totally, the fact. Totally, of it. totally yes, yes. Um, so, so the yes. things that you think of him, wow, he's got this amazing ability to tap into someone's psyche yes. and make them think something or do something. Actually, there's a lot of yeah. illusion there. I mean, whenever there's a thing of, of I'm going to draw the picture. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah, yeah. And then you know, someone says it's a boat, and then a minute later goes, oh, it's a boat. Yeah. Someone yeah. must have. And, and when he makes it, you yeah. think that I've, I, you know, and when yeah. he says. And there were 10 things that I positioned on the way into the theatre yes. to make you yes. choose that thing. Well, yeah. no, obviously yes. not. There's, yeah, a, yeah, there's yeah. a trick. Yeah, It's um, very cleverly but, it's but it is done. very cleverly done. Because yeah. he makes you think that totally. he can read your mind and yes. he can, you know, so... Well, I, I, I actually, in fact, not far from, from where we're having this chat now, I, I used to live. And, uh, and Darren Brown was a good friend of my flatmate then. And so he came over for a Chinese takeaway after his, mm. after his show in Woking at the theatre. And we had a Chinese, and uh, and it was odd because he does that. He's got that very deadpan sense of humour. Yeah, and I think because he's used to telling people things are one way when actually it's not; it's the opposite. And he starts doing, I don't know, I suppose jokes. But um, like one of them, he said, um, he said, "Oh, with the duck bones. When we finish with the duck, you get the duck bones. You put it in a glass of milk overnight, leave it on the side, and then tomorrow morning it's uh, it's ducky milk, isn't it?" And we're like, "What?" <laughs> And he said, yeah, ducky milk, you can, uh, and then you can use it. You get that, and you can rub it on rashes and warts, and it, it heals them up in no time, you know. And it's ducky milk. It's, and we're looking going, is, is that a thing? And he's going, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. Go, oh, right, I see. You can, you, can, you can just signal with a little sign of it. And, you know, you're just there going, I'm not quite sure if you're trying to hypnotize me that ducky milk is a thing, or if it's, it's just a deadpan, you know, spoof fact kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, you, and you could see, you know, yeah. that's that, just that manner yeah. that they yeah. have, these people. Yeah. But what, yeah. what it taught me, kind of doing that, because I was mm. always have been a big fan of Darren Brown. And so it was a bit, it, it, I, there was a certain element of hero worship when I met him. Yeah. But actually, when you sit down and talk to him, he's, he's quite normal, yeah. actually, yes. you know, and, and it is a big stage persona. Yeah. But he's actually quite, quite kind of totally. modest and, and yeah. diffident and, and not terribly, mm. quite self-effacing, really, mm. when you meet him in person. He's, what he's just done, he's know. just, he's, He's cracked magic very, very exactly. well. Yeah. A previous guest, Dr. Krish Kandai, has spoken to us 
on a previous podcast about his charity Home for Good, which is a fostering and adoption charity. It's well worth a re-listen on his personal take on it, receiving children in the middle of the night, not knowing what language they're speaking, trying to find them the right snacks from the kitchen cupboards. It's amazing stuff. Anyway, so I wanted to ask Krish, as we approach the year's end, about his topical take on his charity, about how it's impacted by things like the refugee crisis. Uh, so be warned, this interview contains graphic images. I know it's audio, but just as they say on radio, the pictures are better in audio. The content can sound brutal. So that being said, uh, the news is graphic itself right now. So with his take on the refugee crisis, home for goods, Krish can die. In terms of the international side of things, obviously yeah. we see a lot of the papers about the refugee crisis and stuff like that. Yeah. Does that impact then on the fostering and the... You know, it really the... does. Yeah, so our little charity got involved um, about 18 months ago mm. um, when that little picture of Ilan Kurdi, that little, um, boy from Syria... Yeah washed up on a beach in Bodrum, Turkey, uh, three and a half year old with his kind of red t-shirt and blue trousers and became a, you know, an internet sensation that woke the Western world up to the refugee crisis. And our Prime Minister said that the UK would take 20,000 refugees over five years and he said we were going to focus on unaccompanied refugee children and he said this is going to be a modern day kinder transport and that's when our ears picked up because some of the listeners might remember, in 1939, the UK received 10,000 Jewish children who were escaping the Nazi death squads. And uh, we thought, wow, you know, if we're going to do that again, where are you going to put these kids? Because we were already, like, you know, 9,000 foster carers short. So we launched a little campaign, and uh, just over the course of a weekend, we had about 8,000 people say they wanted to help. Right. to foster unaccompanied refugee children. Since then, we've got about 15,000. The struggle for us has been, um, you know, for better or for worse, the government has closed the route, the safe route, for unaccompanied refugee children to come to the UK. They have not fulfilled that promise at all. And so the main way that refugee children are coming to the UK is through unsafe routes. So some are being people trafficked, some are going on the back of lorries, some are, you know, just finding a way to get here. And so last year alone, I think we had around 3,500 unaccompanied refugee children, what they call spontaneous arrivals. They didn't come for any government route, they just arrived here. I see, yeah. So there is a massive need for foster carers for those children and young people. So that's quite an eye-opener, because I, it's, you know, I, I get my news from the paper and that sort of yeah. stuff, and then I, you know, I read about the fact that the government were changing the, 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 the uh, you know, how many they were going to allow in, which of course was, you know, rather upsetting and shocking and surprising. Well, maybe not so surprising after, you know, you never know what to expect. But so then, of course, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, this... And, of course, it's always an exact thousands, you know. Yeah. So it's not... Yeah. Instead of 20,000, it's 5,000, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think, oh, OK, so they are not coming... They're not coming here. But, of course, there is still that desperate need. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you're, I, I hadn't, you don't even consider safe route versus unsafe route. It's yeah. not like it's going to... They're going to come anyway. Yeah, it's not going to stop. It just needs to be That's managed, right. I suppose, and handled. And, and I guess the profile for the kids that are coming, just to be able to make that journey on your mm. own... Um, they are going to be older kids, yes, and um, you know, often I, I was in uh, I was in Lebanon meeting you know refugee families there, and many of them had sent their kids out of Syria because they didn't want them to be recruited into Assad's army, um, or they didn't want them to be uh, recruited by ISIS. So I've got teenage boys, an 18-year-old, 17-year-old. If I thought that, that those were the two likely options, I'd do everything I could to get them out of the country. So that's, that's what's happening. And, and, you know, my kids, about some of them are about to leave home and go to university or go and get a job. They still need a parent in their life. You know, being stuck in a bed and breakfast somewhere is not sufficient. 
Many of the kids in places like Syria have been out of school for four or five years, so they haven't had the kind of um, help they might need. They're in another culture, another language, all sorts of challenges. So we think if we can get families to wrap around those kids, they have a better chance of integrating, feeling safe, not getting re-trafficked again. And so that's why we think foster care or supported lodging might be the best solution for them. So Home for Good is the all details on the internet and stuff. Yeah, homeforgood.org.uk. If you're interested in fostering, adoption or supporting those that do, we'd love to hear from you. And for more on Chris's charity Home for Good, do check out his website or indeed his many books. Now, our seventh guest this week is also a writer with a new book out next year. And he's been on before. He's a favourite of this podcast. Here is a QI elf researcher, writer and star of our Heptagon Club Live earlier this year. Now, I think this is our last portion of that live show to be pumped out to you now. Speaking about eight minutes, here is Stephen Colgan. Please welcome QI Elf and star of this podcast. He's been on many times before. Mr Stephen Colgan, ladies and gentlemen. All the way to the stage. This is going to be a bit of a cock-up, because when he phoned me up and said can you come up and talk, you know, about seven or eight minutes? I thought you meant talk about seven or eight minutes, so I found some really interesting facts about... <laughs> I'm trying to do it in less than eight minutes, but I thought I'd try and find some really interesting facts about eight minutes. Eight minutes is the average time it takes to hoover a room, properly. <laughs> about twice as long as when a man does it. It's about, uh, it's about the same time it takes to clean a toilet properly, to iron two shirts, to boil two eggs or ruin one. Um, <laughs> And one in every eight minutes worldwide is spent on Facebook. Uh, In eight minutes, you can listen to Stairway to Heaven once. You can listen to the Parrot Sketch twice. You can listen to Song 2 by Blur four times. Makes sense, doesn't it? And, of course, you can listen to eight-minute waltzes. You could also, if you were Sir Robert Liston uh, in the 1830s, you could have done 16 amputations in eight minutes. Well, this is the time before anaesthetic, and, and this guy, this guy was so—he was so popular because he was so damn quick. You just go boom, 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 and, and your leg was off. Um, but, 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 speed didn't always mean accuracy. Uh, he famously once castrated a man at the same time as amputating his leg. Um, and, and it, gets, it gets worse. In his most famous case, in his most famous case, he, he took the fingers off his assistant the legs of the patient and the coattails of an eminent doctor who was observing uh, and the patient as assistant and, and the, the patient and the assistant and the doctor all died so it's very possibly the only operation in medical history with a 300% mortality rate uh, okay um, oh I found all sorts of things in 8 minutes I mean 8 minutes into a film there's some great lines in the 8 minutes into a film 8 minutes into Star Wars you get she'll die before she'll tell you anything so, I found that eight minutes into Taxi Driver, you get some nights they clean out the blood. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the radio series, eight minutes in is the line, lucky escape for Arsenal if it did. Okay, here's a, in eight minutes, my heart will beat, on average, 576 times. That's about 72 beats a minute. If I was a blue whale, Alan Davis's favourite subject, um, my heart would beat about 48 times because it only beats about six beats per minute. If I was an Etruscan shrew, how many do you reckon? How many in eight, how many in eight minutes? 8,000. Well, we're getting close. 12,000. 12,000. 12,088. Yeah, believe it or not, it's 1,511 beats per minute. Incredible, isn't it? Lightning will strike the earth 48,000 times in eight minutes. 
Wayne Rooney will have earned 168 quid. <laughs> That's actually serious. I mean, this is based on... I mean, I don't know what he's... Has he gone to China yet? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. Oh, yeah, you're asking me. Well, me. Football. I'm a Cornishman. Name a full Cornish football team. Exactly, yeah. It was, <laughs> hey, Ponsonuth United, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he, he was on about 30,000 a day, I think he was actually earning at one point, uh, when I did this, which is quite recently. Um, yeah, so 168 quid, he'll have earned in eight minutes. A nurse, by comparison, will have earned 36p. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in eight minutes, in eight minutes, IKEA will serve 30,440 meatballs worldwide. McDonald's will serve 32,000 beef burgers worldwide. And Peruvians will eat 913 guinea pigs. (laughs) Apparently, they're really, really tasty. They're they're a a, a, a very popular protein in Peru. Um, Because they're kind of like an unfinished rabbit anyway, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) They just haven't stuck the ears and the the little tuft on the back, haven't they? Oh, this this will be an interesting one. Um, This is for the nerds amongst you. Do you know, in eight minutes, you could do one-thirteenth of the Kessel Run if you were piloting the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, allegedly, yeah. No, no, thank you. Now, the Millennium Falcon, apparently, according to various Star Wars fan sites and things I went to, the Millennium Falcon has a top speed of 28 light years per hour. And as the Kessel Run is 15 parsecs in length, uh, and a parsec is 3.2556 light years in length. That's how far it we got it. I really go into this. We do, we do our research properly. Um, that is research. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. That's because if we put anything out wrong on QI, within 30 seconds of the broadcast going out, we get dear so-called QI on your show tonight. Last year, we t- actually took points off Josh Widdicombe because of something he'd said wrong the year before. And what he said wrong was the number of a particular A-road in Devon. Yeah. That's what our fans are like. Okay, I'm going to finish with this, that the Earth rotates at 1,040 miles per hour, so in eight minutes, we've all travelled 138 miles. So while I've been doing this, we've travelled 138 miles. The Earth also goes around the Sun at 66,600 miles per hour, so that's a further 8,880 miles we've all travelled. But the Milky Way galaxy is also rotating at 515,000 miles per hour, so our solar system has moved 68.6666 miles during these eight minutes. I reckon, working that out, That's a total of 77,684 miles that we've all travelled in the time I've been speaking, which using the HMRC's tax rate of 45p per mile for business travel, I reckon Paul owes me, in petrol money, about 34,947 quid and 80p. But I'll let you off the 80p. Good Stephen's got a new book out in the new year called A Murder to Die For. Um, I've got uh, two kids' books out next year as well. Did I mention that? Noah's Car Park Ark and Moses and the Exodus Express. Just uh, some good, fun children's books, beautifully illustrated as well. Uh, Not by me, I should add. More on that in the new year. Right now, I'm all about the Christmas book. Hark, the biography of Christmas. Do seek it out online. Chuck us a nice review, if you would, on Amazon or on Goodreads. Thank you very much. And all of our guests who've written books, well, they go on the Amazon guests list. Uh, You will find the link to that on our Facebook page. And that includes this guy. So your book is unbelievable. Justin Briley is the author, the man whose voice is not mine uh, in this conversation. (laughs) Um, And it's out now. And uh, it's called Unbelievable. Why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. And uh, it's purchasable from all good 
stockists. Yes, there's even a website for it called unbelievablebook.co.uk. Excellent, excellent. Well, people can go there and, mm. and buy and find these things out. Marvellous. Well, thank you much indeed. Thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. And also people can find your podcast as well, can't they? Indeed, yeah. If you want to listen to editions of of Unbelievable, where we have these these fascinating conversations week in, week out, uh, just go to premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. And you can listen to more than 10 years worth. Wow. If you ever feel like doing that. It's like one a year since my 10. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. Plenty more than that. So there's, uh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, go go for it. Oh, man. Um... Actually, man, is what I mean. I've just noticed that we have had seven men this week. That is bad. We have failed the Bechdel test this week, especially in the current climate. We must try harder. Um, you know what? I will confess. I've tried. I've asked actually three female guests on this month, and all of them said not just now. I've asked two male guests on this month, and both said yes. So I'm trying. I'm doing my bit. But I think it's just that women have more sense than to be on this. I think they've got stuff to do. Men clearly trying to skive off real work. But uh, next time, we will try harder to get the balance better. Um, well, not next time, because next time is our Christmas special. And yeah, actually, that's... Um, it's all historical guests, really, next time. And I hate to say, but having written the book, it's it's a very white Christmas and a very much a father Christmas. It's not an ethnic Christmas and a mother Christmas. No, it's mostly white men through the Christmas history um, story, unfortunately. Um, apart from Mary, she did quite a lot. Queen Victoria, she did a fair amount. Cecil Francis Alexander wrote once in Royal David City. But next time, it's mostly people like Dickens and St. Nicholas and Bing Crosby and things like that. We will get festive then. If you've got any particular facets of Christmas that you'd like explored, uh, we're happy to do that and do a sort of bespoke history of Christmas next time. If you want us to explore crackers or turkey or Christmas jumpers or Die Hard or the Christmas tree, whatever. Let us know what you want us to unwrap and unpick. Email me, paul at paulcrenza.com. Happy to... um, Basically, do a podcast of order, really. Anything Christmassy and festive and historical, we'll delve into that next time. Paul at paulcrenza.com if you'd like to email me. Uh, The plan is then a standard episode again. We'll follow that in January or February with seven more guests, as usual. And then that's probably the end of this series. That will be the end of series two of the Heptagon Club, because I need to then have a break and go and record lots of more uh, conversations. If you'd like to encourage us back sooner, uh, if you like what we do, you can donate on heptagonclub.co.uk. Click donate. Or at the top of the page, seek out the word Patreon, and that is a way to give to us regularly and get stuff back in return. That is a host of benefits for you there, and that will keep us going. So whether you donate or share the episode, or like our Facebook page, or do us a review on iTunes, or do my book review on Amazon, any or all of these things, I thank, thank, thank you. Hey, has anybody said to you today? A big thank you to all my guests this Your week. We've had a nice mix. Four comedians, two magicians, two magazine editors, five writers. Somehow that all adds up to seven. Thank you to Rob Halligan for the music. Visit our Facebook page, subscribe, like, rate, review, share. And we will see you in December for our Christmas special. It will be properly Christmassy.